Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and open them to Romans chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 10. We're in a verse-by-verse study in the book of Hebrews, and we're going to finish off the chapter today, Hebrews chapter 10. But before we get there, I want to start in Romans chapter 1 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Life is from Faith to Faith. And if we had a longer title, it would be life is from faith to faith and not from faith to works. And that's an important concept to learn that the just shall live by faith. Notice with me in chapter 1 of Romans, verse 16. It says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The gospel is from God. It's the good news that your sins can be forgiven. And you know, salvation is a full package. When God saves a person through his son, Jesus Christ, they are completely saved. Think about this for yourself today. If you are in Christ, you have been saved from the power of sin, the sanctification power, or excuse me, you have been saved from the power of sin, which is the work of sanctification in your life. Secondly, you've been saved from the penalty of sin, and that's the justification of God in your life. And then finally, you are saved from the presence of sin, which is our future glorification. You can look forward to a day of being in the presence of God and not having to deal with sin anymore. And as with any gift, salvation is just simply to be received. You just accept gifts. You appreciate gifts. You don't work for them. You don't try to earn them. You just take them and you thank the gift giver. It's almost like God is saying, I know that sin has damaged your life. I know it's destroyed you. I know it's hurt and harmed you, but I offer you life. And that life is in my son, Jesus Christ. As the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 4, it says, I, in him, speaking of Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. Notice back in verse 16, Paul, when he thinks of the gospel, he says, I'm not ashamed of it. It's not something that brings shame to my life. I'm excited about it. Why? Because it's the power of God to salvation. And notice the next two words, for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. I know there are some that teach that the gospel is only for one particular class of people or one particular group of people, but the Bible teaches otherwise. That's a doctrine of man. The doctrine of God is that Jesus Christ has died and made available the forgiveness of sin for everyone. And anyone who believes experiences new life and is born again. The gospel is for all who believe, not just certain groups of people. The Bible is filled with whoever's and everyone's all throughout the Bible. Let me read a few to you in Matthew chapter 12, verse 50. It says, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus says in John chapter four, verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. And the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. How about this one? John chapter 11, verse 26. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? How about John chapter three, verse 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And I like it in the old King James. It's not whoever, it's whosoever. And aren't you glad that the gospel goes out to whosoever will believe? It goes out to anyone and everyone. And whoever believes experiences new life. So for anyone, for everyone, 
for whoever will believe, and he noticed he puts it into the category for the Jew first. Jesus Christ fulfilled over 300 predictive prophecies of the coming Savior, Messiah, all throughout the Old Testament. By the time Jesus came, they were rebuked for not recognizing who he was. As they anticipate the coming Messiah, as the Bible says, they rejected him. And so the salvation is for the Jew, but it's also for the non-Jew. And that's really what's being said here. It's all for the Jew first, but it's also for us, for the Greek, for the Gentile. If you believe, you'll not perish. If you don't believe, you'll perish. You see, you don't pay for salvation. You don't earn it. You don't merit it. You simply receive it. How do you receive it? Well, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus came preaching a message of repentance. And repentance is essential. It's a recognition of your distance and separation from God because of sin, because of your failures in life. And when you recognize your distance, you turn away from your sinful behavior. That idea of turning away is the Bible word repentance. When you repent, the very next breath of your thought life, the very next words out of your mouth is, I repent and believe. I trust God. I trust God with my life. I place my faith in Jesus Christ. Now, as you're sharing the good news of Jesus with others, I want to remind you of four things that every single person deals with in life. It doesn't matter what country they're in, what language they live, how successful they might be, how prosperous they might be, how poor they might be. Every human being deals with these four issues apart from Jesus Christ. Four issues that are met and satisfied by the gospel message. And there are four things you can remember by remembering the word self. And we're gonna use the word self because everyone has to deal with their selves. We're gonna remember them by using the word self, S-E-L-L. F. So if you're taking notes, let's start with the S. Every person deals with this issue of security. Security. Everyone has a need to be loved and accepted. No matter what a person looks like on the outside, no matter how they present themselves, there is a deep need on the inside for love and acceptance, which is one of the reasons many people seek relationship after relationship after relationship, looking to fill this deep hole in their heart for security. And the gospel, there's only one way that that need for security is met, and it's through the gospel, a real relationship with Jesus Christ. You are, as a believer in Jesus, you are safe and secure in Christ. Number two, Everyone deals with the sense of wondering about, and the E is eternity. Eternity. People struggle with this question. Where do I go after I die? Or even more general, what happens or what will happen to me after I die? And they may not always think about it, but there are those times where mortality, their own mortality, they come face to face with it. For example, a a brother called me this week, earlier this week. He's a church planter. He's just about ready to plant a church. And he was presented with an invitation to do a memorial service for a very difficult situation. And he called for a couple of uh, points of insight and, and help on what, how he might be able to enter. And I gave him two main points of insight. I gave him two pieces of advice. Number one, as difficult as the situation is, I encouraged him, don't let the situation itself stumble you. Don't let it change you from being a messenger of the gospel, which leads to number two, and that is, when you are overseeing and officiating a memorial, don't ever forget you're speaking to the living, not to the dead. And they are thinking about life and death issues. And this is your opportunity to remind them of the hope of Jesus Christ and the encouragement that comes not just through life and the difficulty of death, but maybe for you today, the Lord's reminding you, it's not just life and death, because God, he adds resurrection. And where there is death, by faith in Jesus Christ, there is also hope in the resurrection. Everyone deals with these thoughts. 
Even as you are reminded of it today, you're reminded of the good news of the gospel. You see, the gospel addresses this issue of eternity by offering eternal life and offering a security of eternal life. Thirdly is the letter L, S-E-L. And the L stands for loneliness, loneliness. Hey, everyone deals with loneliness deep down, apart from Christ. Even those of us who believers sometimes deal with loneliness, but apart from Jesus Christ, it is possible to be surrounded by hundreds and thousands of people and still have a profound sense of loneliness and isolation. Even more so in these days as they're doing studies on social media where you have now new categories and fake categories of friendships and follow and unfollow and all of this stuff that you can be surrounded with so much information and so many so-called friends and still be profoundly lonely. But God has solved our loneliness issue where Jesus addresses it and says, I will come to you, I will dwell with you, and I will never leave or forsake you. The gospel deals with loneliness. And then finally, the F stands for feelings, feelings of guilt. Feelings of guilt are very important to remember that people deal with them because being born into sin brings a lot of guilt. Being born into sin brings a lot of guilt into a person's life. And it's a burden that gets heavier every day that passes. And so some people choose to ignore it. Some people have tried to drown it. Some people have gone so far that they've seared their own conscience, but guilt is a real issue. Now, if somebody's trying to use guilt to manipulate you, that is not from God. But I'll tell you, God does use guilt to remind you of your lost condition. The only answer to the guilt that's in your life is to have your sins forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. And God does a death blow to our guilt. And all of these are answers. So whether you're sharing the gospel with your neighbor the person that just moved in in the condo next door, or you're sharing the gospel with your coworker, or with your boss, or with your mom, or your grandma. Everyone's dealing with these issues, and the gospel will address every single issue in a person's life. It is a whole package. You were saved, you are saved, and you will be saved, because it's God that does the work. This is the offer that God gives to us. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it. Because notice in verse 17 in Romans, it says, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Because it's written that the just shall live by faith. So now God reveals a righteousness in the gospel. Do you know in order to get into heaven, if you needed a key or a ticket to get into heaven, do you know what that key or ticket would be? What God requires from you and me in order to be in his presence is righteous perfection. Let's take the Bible word out for a second and just key on the word perfection. God requires perfection. Now I'm sure that if I ask for a raising hand, are there any perfect people here? There would be one or two wise guys or gals that would say, I'm sort of perfect. Well, you're not perfect. So you didn't make it. You've made a mistake. And just telling me you're sort of perfect was another mistake. So you're not in. You're not getting in. And then you add to it the requirement of God, it's not just perfect in our actions, but it's perfect righteousness. That means you've never sinned your entire life. But the Bible teaches, and we don't even need the Bible to teach us, but the Bible teaches us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we don't even need the Bible because we have our spouse to tell us that we have made mistakes. We have our kids. We have little mistakes that we gave birth to in our house or adopted. We, we're surrounded by friends and family to remind us that we are not perfect, not even close to being righteously perfect. It's in the gospel that righteousness is revealed. And how is righteousness revealed? In the person of Jesus Christ. Righteousness is in a person. So that now, when you turn away from your sins and you repent, there's a great exchange that takes place. It's the righteousness of Jesus in exchange for your unrighteousness. That's the ticket. You aren't going to get in. You're not going to come into heaven and say, well, here I am. I'm almost perfect, God. How far will you let me in? No, no, the ticket isn't almost perfect. The ticket isn't partially righteous. The ticket isn't, the key isn't, look at all of the good deeds that I've done. Look at what a good person I've been. You know, we all think we're good people. When we look at ourselves, we think the best. 
But oftentimes we see the worst in others. We, we think, well, we've got all, look at all the good deeds that I have done. But the Bible doesn't say we live by good deeds. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. Faith. They came to Jesus and said, what must I do to do the works of God? That's a great question to ask. What must I do to do the works of God? What's going to make me uh, right with God? What, what is it, what's going to make me in a right relationship with God, Jesus? And Jesus said very simply, believe on the one whom he sent. Believe on me. Because it, the Bible describes our good deeds with a phrase. Some of you might know this passage in Isaiah chapter 64, where the Bible describes all of our good deeds. Listen to what it says, Isaiah 64 verse 6. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We will all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. All of our good deeds, or as the Bible says, all of our righteousnesses, everything we have to offer to God are like filthy rags. Now, the original language of the Hebrew, that phrase filthy rags, would refer to used menstrual cloths. But I've got another illustration for you that will be a little more acceptable than thinking that through in our minds. But let me just say this. The Bible doesn't mess around and tells us the truth about who we are the truth about who God is, so that we understand that even if we brought the best that we have, it's like filthy rags. But let's say I sent somebody down to the nursery and said, did any of the kids drop a load? <laughs> and so we've got a little thing there. Sure, here's five diapers. So they bring up five dirty diapers filled with poo, because that's what the load is. They're filled with poo, and I put them up here. One, two, three, four, five. And I say the best thing that you could possibly have, the best deed that you can have, God sees it like these dirty diapers. And there's nothing you can do about them. They're dirty and nasty. And that's why they have disposable diapers. You throw a dirty diaper away, you don't keep it. You get it out. Even, you know, some of you parents, you're so funny. You have stuff that I didn't have as a parent. And you guys spent all this money for the fancy, no-smell diaper container. It's remote control. You use it on your phone. You put them down. And, and you know what? It doesn't work. Your house smells like dirty diapers. Because your kids are dropping loads all the time. That's just the way it is. The best thing to do with a dirty diaper is, A, get it off the kid. Two, wipe. And wipe. Wipe the kid, and then, and then wrap that thing up and get it outside. You don't keep it. You don't stack it up in your kid's room. You, you don't keep it for, you don't put a trophy case of your kid's best dirty diapers. Look, this, look at what he, look what he did. This is the best one he's ever done. I mean, you can't do, you can't, a dirty diaper is a dirty diaper. I don't care what you spray on it. I don't care what essential oil you buy. It doesn't matter what you diffuse in your house. A dirty diaper stinks. You guys get the illustration? Your good deeds are like those dirty diapers. Before a holy and a righteous God, they merit nothing. Nothing just because you have less dirty diapers than someone else, or you have more than someone else, we're all in equal place in need of a perfect righteousness. The gospel reveals that. It's a perfect righteousness. It's revealed by God, and the only way to access it is by faith. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10 now. Hebrews chapter 10. We touched on this briefly last time, but let's finish off beginning in verse 35. Our righteousness before God are like dirty diaper. We can't come. They're filthy rags. We're an unclean thing. We need a righteousness outside of ourselves. One that comes from Jesus Christ himself. When we step into the righteous one, we're accepted and we're given confidence. Notice verse 35, Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance. If you were with us last time, you've already circled this word. If you haven't, do it now. Circle the word endurance and right next to it, hupomone. That's the Greek word here. It's a very strong word that speaks of bearing up under the load or under the pressure. That's what you have need of. You have need to endure and not give up. 
And don't quit. God is with you. He is inside of you. And you, by faith, will steady on. And he will strengthen you along the way. You have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you'll receive the promise. Don't throw away your confidence. Don't cast away the confidence that God has given to you. What do you need? You need endurance. Because as you do the will of God, then the promise comes. Verse 37. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. But the just shall live, say it with me, by faith. I want you guys to leave with this truth. The just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So verse 35, don't cast away your confidence. It has great reward. You have needed endurance because after you do the will of God, there's great reward coming. Faith is the key that unlocks your relationship with God. And everybody believes in something and someone. Everybody. Even, when, even those that say, I believe in nothing, believe in something because they believe in nothing. Everybody has a belief. Like right now. You have a belief. You, everyone in this room right now that is sitting down is exercising faith. Now, you have done it so many times, you don't pay attention to it anymore. But you are exercising faith. You're living by faith right now by your commitment to sit in the chair you're in right now. You go, well, whatever, it's a chair. I just, that's what you do in chairs. Yeah, but your mind had to process whether you trust that chair to hold you up. Because nobody wants to sit in a chair that's just going to fall apart. You want to sit in a chair that's comfortable and it's going to hold you up. So you came in, whether you realize it or not, and assessed these blue things that are on the ground. I don't see, now I look again, I've seen every service. I don't see anybody sitting on the floor. But even if you chose to sit on the floor, that's something you've exercised your faith. I don't trust that chair, but I trust the floor. And so you came in and you go, okay, that looks like a chair. It's got four legs. It's got a bottom. It's got a back. And I kind of look at it. It looks like it's in good shape. Maybe even some of you are super hyper careful and you shook it a little bit to see if it has a back that works. Or, and then what did you do? You exercised your faith based on evidence and you sat down. And right now you're living by faith in that chair because there are four or five chairs that are about ready to collapse at any moment. <laughs> and you'll find out which ones in just a second. No, of course not. You have, over the years, sat down in chairs, and it's so common to you right now, you don't even pay attention. Let me give you another example. When you drove here today, you exercised great faith. Maybe you didn't realize it, but you exercised great faith and great trust. You exercised trust and faith in complete strangers in order to drive here today. First of all, if you drove on a road that had a double yellow line, you had faith in the other side, in the driver on the other side of that double yellow line, that they believe that the double yellow line means the same thing as it means to you. You understand you should be on the right side of it. They understand they should be on the right side of it. And if we both have the same type of belief, we're gonna drive just fine in opposite directions. Or if you're making a left turn, you know, heading down Hampton here and you're gonna turn left on Tower and you got the green, the green uh, left turn signal up there and it flashes green on you and you proceed to take a left turn, you're exercising faith. You're exercising faith that the person on the other side recognizes the red light and that that red light means stop to them just like the green light means go to you. But you do it so often, you don't pay attention. That's faith. You live by faith. A lot of people go, well, I don't know. I don't think I can live by faith. Your whole life is lived by faith. I mean, let's get, before you drive and before anything, when you go out to the parking lot and you place your key in your car. Now, most of us, there's probably a few of you that do, but most of us have no idea how cars work. Like you put the key in, I don't know what happens there. All I know is if I turn the key, all kinds of stuff happens, the engine gets on, I put it in drive and I'm out of here. But I know I'm not going to be able to do that until I put the key in and turn it. Or, you know, I have, I'm driving Marie's old car now. And many years ago, because of the snow, I put one of those remote starts in there. So she wants it all warm before she gets in. But now I get it, so it's kind of cool. <laughs> but for some reason, I don't even have to put the key anymore. I just push the button. But now the button doesn't work anymore. So now I have to be like five inches from the car. And what's the good of that to be five inches from the car to get it to... Re <sighs> I'm sorry, 
Those are my personal problems. But even pushing the button, I don't know what works inside that little thing that sends the message, that sends the message, that turns on everything. I don't need to know that. I just know this. When I put the key in and turn it, the car turns on. That's all I need to know. And every time I turn the key, I trust that the car's gonna do what it's supposed to do. So much of life is filled with faith. And so it makes sense that God would say, the key to living your life with me is by faith. You trust me. You trust me at my word. You trust me as I've proven myself to you in the past. You trust me with the evidence that I provided to you of who I am, God says. You trust me. It is from, like Romans said, faith to faith. It's not from faith to works. We receive the gift of salvation and it starts with faith. It doesn't take much for us to remember that when we were saved, it was by faith. It wasn't by works. We didn't wait till we read the whole Bible. When I was born again and I walked up to a stage just like this and pray with a pastor just like, like I'm doing now. And when I received the Lord Jesus Christ, do you know that I had not read the whole Bible yet? I didn't even read most of the Bible yet. I didn't even, I didn't even have, I probably only knew John 3:16 and maybe Psalm, parts of Psalm 23 about some shepherd, but that's it. And yet I was, I was saved. My sins were forgiven. It wasn't required that I read the whole Bible in order to be saved. All that was required is that I believe God. And then, as I continue to live my life, and I read, you know, things were so bad that not only did I not read the Bible, but I didn't even own a Bible. And here we were, parents with a small child, didn't even have a Bible in the house. My church attendance was here and there, maybe not, not because I wanted to go, because my son was in a, uh, Eddie was in a daycare at a church, and so they'd have events, and sometimes they'd invite you, so I'd walk into a church for an event, for a marriage, for a funeral, maybe. I mean, I even played on a Christian softball team. Imagine that, when I get to heaven, I say, hey, uh, God, how, how, why should I let you in, Ed? Because I held hands on the middle of a baseball field. I played softball with a bunch of Christians, and I prayed. And you know what God would say to that? That's filthy rags, Ed. That's filthy rags, dirty diapers. Not to be in my presence. It's from faith to faith. You're not saved because you've read the Bible, as good as that might be. You're not saved because you're sitting in this room today or you've got all the presets on your radio, the Christian radio, or you've done 10 good deeds or 1,000 good deeds. You're saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ that met you at the point of your faith. It's the same way your car gets turned on. The car does all the work. It's met with your faith of turning that key or pressing that button. It's from faith to faith. And how important it is that we learn that the just shall live by faith. Let's go over to Habakkuk. Would you in the Old Testament, Habakkuk chapter two? Because that's the original place where this verse comes from. So if you go back to the left in your Bible, Habakkuk is right after Nahum. So if you see Nahum or Zephaniah, it's in that area toward the end of the Old Testament. And this is where the verse comes from. It's actually mentioned four times in the Bible. It originates here in Habakkuk. And by the way, Habakkuk is is a man's name. He's a person. He's a prophet of God. And Habakkuk is upset in his life at this point. He is watching the Babylonian kingdom, the Babylonians come in and take captive the people of God. And he's mad. He's mad at God. He's frustrated as he watches this take place. And he's comparing, he's like, what what is going on here? Why would you show favor to the Babylonians and not to your own people? Why why is it that the Babylonians are coming in and they're going to crush us and take advantage of us and we're being judged? They're they're the ones that hate you, God. They're the ones that don't want anything to do with you, God. Just like the psalmist would say many times. And Habakkuk is just blown away. He's upset by the wicked Babylonians coming to, and he's mad at God and he's communicating. Notice in chapter one, verse one, it says, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry? Won't you hear? Even cry out to you violence, and you will not save. Why is this happening? And then notice in chapter 2, that's the sum of chapter 1. Then chapter 2 he says, Habakkuk writes, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart, and I'll watch to see what God will say to me. 
and what I'll answer when I'm reproved. Because he knows he's in dangerous place. He knows that God's going to have an answer for him, as he's seen even in the book of Job, where Job was going through a tough, difficult time, and he got upset. And God brought to him a reproof or a rebuke, reminding, you know, what Job forgot. And this is what pain and trials will do in you. It'll cause you to forget the goodness of God and his faithfulness. And you'll only see life through the circumstances. And just yesterday, I was reminded of this as I was driving in to services. I was listening to Pastor Chuck Smith on my app, and, and he was reminding me, and I'll have the privilege of reminding you now, that anytime we get our eyes on our circumstances, that is the root of fear. Where we don't see who God is, but we're overcome by our circumstances. Of course, that happens to us all. But the choice to remain focused on the difficulty is a choice that we make. And it's really a choice whether we believe God or not. Do we trust him with our lives, even when things aren't going the way that we want? Like Habakkuk. Hey man, look what's happening, God. Why would you do this to me? Why would you allow this to us? I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. And so now he's waiting and look at what God says to him in verse 2. He says, then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision's yet for an appointed time, but at the end it'll speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud, verse 4. His soul is not upright in him. And then here is the word to Habakkuk. But the just, they shall live by faith. So the Babylonians, they're proud and, and they don't have any uprightness. You see them, Habakkuk, but you're just and the just shall live by his faith. And basically he was telling Habakkuk, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. The only thing that's going to get you through is trust me. God says, trust me. Trust me, I know what I'm doing. And that's a very difficult thing to do, especially as you see in the context of waiting in verse 3, when he says, wait for it. Wait for it. And the longer you wait, the more temptation there is to believe lies about God, to believe he doesn't care about you anymore, to believe that he's abandoned you, to believe that he has turned on you, that his word isn't true. Because the longer the circumstances are in your life, the more difficult it gets to trust God. The more difficult it gets because circumstances get bigger and bigger and bigger the longer that we look at them and the longer that we're in them. So we have a choice to be buried by our circumstances or to choose to trust in the Lord as we wait. This is a big deal in our lives. It has everything to do with what, what kind of progress we make. Even as I was praying this morning, in my devos before I even got into the car, before I even turned the key. I was praying, and there's this issue that I keep bringing before the Lord, and I'm telling you, he answered my prayer before I even left the house. He said to me, he says, Ed, it's because you don't believe me. And I said, what, Lord? Is there an Ed? I have a next-door neighbor named Ed. Is that, are you talking to my neighbor? Are you talking to me? You talk, you're telling me I don't believe, and what can I say? I actually didn't say, are you talking to me? I said, you're right, Lord, I don't believe Reminding me of the apostles when Jesus looked at them, oh, ye of little faith. Why are you sleeping when you should be praying? And the answer is not to beat myself up. And the answer is not to condemn myself. The answer is to ask God to increase my faith. I wonder how many of you have similar situations that in your life and in your prayer life, maybe not so direct, but God tends to be very direct with me he goes, this is it, because you don't believe me. And other times in my prayer, but, but I do believe. I'm just having a hard time. Or, or like today, so you're right, Lord. You're right. I wonder how many of you, that it's a battle for faith. And what you do to try to cover that up is, well, I'll just do more good deeds for God, and I'll just serve God more, and I'll just read the Bible more, and I'll just pray more. That'll do it. But all it really is is covering up your faith and lack thereof. Do you know, by grace, because... Salvation is a gift of God. Do you know that you don't have to read your Bible in order to be in a right standing with God? You don't have to pray. I even say as much as, in, in order to be right with God, you do not have to be here today. You don't have to. 
I mean, if I offered to say, okay, everybody that, you know, I'm sure there's a few people here. Anybody that doesn't want to be here, if you don't want to be here, you think you have to be here, you just get up and leave. Go ahead. We'll wait for you. Now, of course, nobody will do that because they think they'd be embarrassed. But it's true. You don't have to be here. If you're here because you feel like you're being forced to be in a church service, don't be here. Because the motivation in serving God is not that I have to. The motivation in serving God is because he loves me. And I love him. I would have never known love had it not been God's first loving me. And you know love is a powerful motivator. (laughs) It will make people do crazy things, love. Love instigates and love massages and love lubricates and love helps and it moves people like nothing else on the planet. I think of a mother's love for their children or a parent's love or a grandparent's love or the love in relationships and friendships. I I think of the ultimate love of God sacrificing his own son on our behalf. It moves us so that you don't cover up your lack of faith by more action. It's not going to get you where you want to go. Activity. You're not saved from faith. And and this is where I want to close today. Because you're not saved by faith to works. We're saved by faith to faith. It's trust. That's your loving relationship will, will have you in the Bible. Right? Your faith was built up even now because faith comes by hearing and what? Hearing by the word of God. You're beginning to trust God. Habakkuk is all bent out of shape about what's happening. And God says, look, you're going to see it all happen with your own eyes, Habakkuk. It's going to happen all around you. And how are you going to live? Trust me. Trust me. Believe what I've said is true. You've seen me operate in the past. You're seeing me operate in the present. And I know this is not good. I know it's very hard. But the just shall live by faith. You know, that phrase is a revolutionary truth. A revolutionary truth. Just a few days ago, our whole entire country celebrated what they call Halloween on October 31st. And it's a big deal and it's become very commercial and all. And that's, we take that opportunity ourselves to, to do an opposite, shine the light of the gospel in our neighborhood and it's great. But you know, October 31st also has another name to it. Did you know that? It's also known as Reformation Day. Reformation Day in the church. There was a guy by the name of Martin who was a Roman Catholic priest struggling under the weight and bondage of the religious system of Romanism. And and he was finding himself in a place where he wasn't satisfied and he wasn't happy. And he was the kind of man that would beat himself because he only saw his faults and his failures. And as he was striving and working and struggling, he did have access to the Bible. And as he was reading the Bible, he came across the passage in Galatians chapter 3 where it said, the just shall live by faith. And there was a revolution that happened in this man's life, Martin. You probably know him better as Martin Luther. And Martin Luther had a revolution happen in his life that caused him, as he continued to read the Bible, to say the way that the Roman Catholic Church is going is the wrong way. And he took his 95 theses that he wrote out and he went to the Wittenberg door and he nailed them to the door that began a reformation in the church. You can thank God that we are still benefiting from that partial reformation even to this day because it instituted a life of faith like the Bible teaches and not works. And we today have great benefit to live by faith in Jesus Christ. It's not by works. It's not by religion. It's not by religious activity. It's by trusting God. So three other times in the New Testament it's mentioned. We saw it in Romans chapter one, verse 17. The emphasis there is on the just. We saw it in Galatians chapter 3. The emphasis there is a believer's life. And then again in Hebrews chapter 11, the emphasis there is faith. So each one has an emphasis in its context. 
Which, by the way, because it's here in Hebrews chapter 10, to me is one more evidence that Paul is the author of Hebrews because Paul writes it in Romans, he writes it in Galatians, and now here it is again in Hebrews. Why? Because I believe a reformation and revolution happened in Saul of Tarsus when he learned how to live by faith and trust in the word of God and not his religious activities or even in his religion. And so you have a whole new attitude when it comes to faith. It's not that you have to or that you've got to. It's that you get to. That the Lord has invited you. God has invited you into relationship with him. A brother came up after service last night and he was distraught. He was distraught as he listened to the Bible study and it stirred up in in him so many things that he wants to see changed in his life. And one of them was his relationship with his son. And as we began to talk and pray together, I asked him some simple questions because, you know, a person in that place is very vulnerable. And if you just tell them to go do a bunch of things, they'll go do a bunch of things. But that wasn't the answer for him. The answer for him was the answer for you. And the answer for you is the answer for me. I respond to my weaknesses by faith. I trust God to show me, to lead me, to guide me, to convict me, to strengthen me, to help me, to give me the hupomone, the endurance. It's all God and not Ed. My response is by faith. And so when I began to talk to him about the practicalities, I said, in the issue with his son, I said, so, so when's the last time you just read the Bible with your son? And his answer was, never. And I said, well, you get to read the Bible with your son. You should probably do that. And when's the last time you had night prayers with him before you left, before you put him down to bed? He says, well, I can't really remember. And I said, well, you get to. You get to pray with your son. You get to read the Bible. When's the last time he saw you in the front room with the TV off and the Bible open? Well, you get to. You get to turn the TV off and you get to read about God. You get to be an example. You think that the action is, well, I've tried, and he'd shared a bunch of things. I tried this and I tried this and I tried this and I tried this. But when we try things, we find ourselves in a place not being led by the Lord, but rather trying to fix a problem instead of allowing God to work in and through us. And so the answer is very simple. By faith, God will give you the answer that you're looking for in the moment. And it's not that you have to. You go, well, you know, what kind of dad are you? You don't read the Bible to your kids. No, no, no. Hey, when's the last time you read? Because you get to do that. You should probably do that with them. It's kind of cool. Talk about things of God with your kids. And the problem is, is that we think, well, if I read the Bible with my kid five nights in a row, I will have a perfect kid by Saturday. (laughs) But that's not reality because that perfect kid that you're looking for doesn't have a perfect mom or dad. But we're on the journey together, aren't we? Growing in grace. And we talk about our culture and we talk about the things that invade our lives, but you're going to have to be the judge of that in your own home, in your own family. You're going to have to let the Lord show you. You're going to have to let the Lord allow you. Uh, You have to ask yourself for God to allow you to see what's happening in your life. How culture has infiltrated us. See, when we receive a strong word like this, the just shall live by faith, it's matched with a bunch of different questions, maybe some condemnation and stuff, but that's not God's intent. And the mistake that we make, and listen carefully, this is where we can make a big mistake. We all know that salvation started by faith, and we all realize that it started that way, but we will make the choice to go from faith to works. And it just won't get you where. Just like sin won't get you where you want to go, neither will all these good works. The just shall live by what, church? Faith. The just shall live by faith. You and I, being justified by Jesus, will live by faith. We don't need to condemn ourselves. That's sinful. We don't need to have these unrealistic expectations, lay heavy trips on ourselves and on others. And why didn't you? And why won't you? And why aren't you? That'll get you nowhere. But rather, you find yourself, God, remembering that God works in you. Remember Philippians chapter 2, verse 13? It's God that works in you both to do, to will and to do for his good pleasure. It's God working in us teaching us that the just shall live our entire lives by faith. The issue in your life today is not a works issue, it's a faith issue. And if you will simply choose to believe God 
you will then begin to enjoy him despite the circumstances. Somebody even came up for service and said, Ed, they were sharing with me some real difficult things in their lives. I said, Ed, I know you struggle about this certain situation. And I looked her in the eye and I said, I do not struggle with that situation. I believe it's God's will for my life. And you could see the freedom that was in her life. Because even what you think other people are going through can inject, somehow show you, well, you know, if Ed's struggling with it, no, no, no. In the moment right here, I can say, I believe that is God's will for my life. And in that place of faith, there's great strength. And then when I waver from it, the Lord will say, well, here's the problem, Ed. The problem is you don't work hard enough for me. So get out there. No, he doesn't say that. He says exactly what he said to me today. It's because you don't believe me, Ed. You don't believe my word. And I just say, oh, Lord, help my unbelief. I want to grow in my faith relationship. I don't want to grow in my works. And I don't want to grow in all that the church might require. And I don't want to grow in rules and regulations and rituals. I don't want to grow by crawling backwards on my knees through rocks and cut glass and say, here I am, God. I've done everything for you, including crawling on my knees backwards through rocks and glass and jaw. No, no, no. The just shall live by faith. It begins with God, it ends with God, and everything in between is from God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so God, we're asking you to increase our faith today. We of old little faith, it's true that we're not always what we wanna be, we're not always what we ought to be, we're not always in a place of great sterling faith. But we want to be in a place of great faith, simple faith, the kind of simple faith that you called the church in Ephesus back to when um, they had left their first love, the kind of simple faith that you were teaching the disciples, the fishermen, the zealot, you know, the men that followed you, the women that followed you. You were telling Mary and Martha to trust you. You were telling the woman at the well to trust you. You were telling the dad that brought his sick son to trust you. You were telling the centurion whose son was sick at home to trust you. Your whole ministry has been to teach us to trust you. And so we just ask for that fresh infilling. And even as men and women are responding to the message, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that they're thinking about their home. I'm grateful that they're praying for me and my family. I'm grateful but may you stir us to love and good works and deeper faith and trust in you. That even as we sing this new song or we sang this new song about you're, you're the way maker, you're the promise keeper, you're the miracle worker, you are God and we are not. And so we turn and ter- we choose to trust in you. And even if we fail in the past and we have like Habakkuk, we got, what's going on? And I don't think I can make it. And this is overwhelming. And I'm going to lose everything. And, and, and all of these, like even, even if we've stumbled and we've fallen flat on our face, we trust you. And even in that experience, you showed us a little bit about ourselves and where we are. And you've, just like you promised to never leave or forsake us, you haven't. And for that, we're grateful. And so now, God, I pray for those that are here today that have never given their life to you. They've never exchanged their dirty diapers for the righteousness of God. They've never exchanged their filthy rags, their good deeds, their justifications in their heart and mind. They've never put the bottle down or they put the joint down or they put the meth pipe away or they put the gang affiliation or that sexual relationship or that anger or that bitterness. They've lived in this this bubble of sin their whole life and you've been all the while knocking on the door of their heart asking to come in. And if you're here today and God is knocking on the door of your heart asking you to invite him in to repent of your sins to be born again, new life, a new creation in Christ. I want to invite you before we leave. If you're here today and you want to choose to follow Jesus Christ, would you just stand to your feet today? I want to pray with you. And I want to lead you in a prayer to fulfill what the Bible says, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus 
you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you're here today, just stand to your feet. I want to pray with you. God bless you. That this would be an acknowledgement of the work of God in your life. You're like saying, hey, that's my greatest need. I need to repent of my sins. And I want to follow Jesus. I want to experience what you talked about, Pastor. And we want you to experience it too. You know, God, the Bible actually says, if you read in the Bible, it says that God's patience, his long-suffering is for salvation. He's patient. He loves you. Because his desire is to see you in a right relationship with him. That's his desire. And we agree with him. There be anyone else here? God bless you guys. I see you. Who else? And it doesn't even really matter if I see you or not, right? It's not me. But it's kind of cool to see you. You guys smile on the radio. I obviously don't see you watching online. But God sees you. And he loves you. And he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. For you personally, individually. Imagine that. Imagine that. The goodness of God leads a person to repentance. So wherever you might be, downstairs in an overflow room somewhere, out on the airwaves, wherever you might be, let's talk to God. And I want to lead you in a prayer that I believe God hears every single time from a genuine, sincere heart. So you could say something like this. God, I admit that I've sinned against you and I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. And I believe that you sent Jesus Christ to live for me, to die for me, and I believe Jesus rose again from the dead to save me from my sins. And I'm asking you today, God, to help me turn away from my sinful past and to follow you all the days of my life. And Father, I pray for anyone, anywhere that would cry out to you. You said, Jesus, anyone comes to you, you won't cast them out. So for those in this room, those outside of this room, may you have your way in their lives. May this be real and genuine, that they might live a life that pleases you, that they might live a life of faith, trusting creator God with their lives and their souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.